All right, Exodus chapter 20. We are on board now. We are already online. If you're tuning in online, uh, we are delighted to have you as part of our service here at Little Sandy Baptist Church. We've sung about the Lord's praise. We have talked about Him being our, our vision. Uh, we have heard the choir sing about Calvary's Lamb, and because of that, we have salvation through Christ who paid the penalty for us. If you have never received Christ as your very own personal Lord and Savior, I cannot, I cannot say how important, I cannot underestimate, even make it smaller, how important that is. It's so infinitely important that you know Christ as Savior. If you do not, would you receive Him? Uh, and if you already know Christ, may we rejoice in what He's done for us. I'm reading in Exodus chapter 20. If you have your Bibles handy there at home, I've had them here in an auditorium. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt first of all have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the, under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I am the Lord thy God. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children until the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Stop it for just a moment. A reminder, those first four are Godward. The last six are manward. And so verse... Uh, uh, continuing on verse 9, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The pattern is set all the way from Genesis, all the way back in Genesis and even enumerated for us here in Exodus. Now, manward, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, last time and tonight, part one, thou shalt not commit adultery. Very clearly for us, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word to our ears, perhaps nearly perhaps the most quoted passages of all the of any of the bible for all human history uh starting from the church age uh, we've had these 10 commandments have been posted and printed but not very often followed it seemed i pray lord that we would be people of the book that we would be people who follow your commands you said this morning that if we love you we obey your words and it's Lord, uh, uh, disobedience is a lack of love in, in, in many capacities. And so, Lord, help me tonight. I readily admit I am a person in need of your help. Forgive me of sin. Empty me of self. Please fill me with your spirit. May, may this message find lodging in all of our hearts, whether we are married, whether we've been married, or plan to one day get married, that we realize the magnificence of marriage. May that come across in our text tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now remember, the Ten Commandments are not just a battering ram to discourage and to distraught people. Yes, they are to be obeyed, but they also can be secrets of success. If you want to live the Christian life right, they can be secrets of success. And matter of fact, we've said before at different times that it's like help yourself to happiness. Now I'm for happiness. 
that new cat in our house. I'm trying to make that cat happy. I'm telling you, though, she's got one of the biggest attitudes I've ever seen tonight. I think we're going to try to let her get out with the other cats. I'm not sure if we're ready to risk that yet, but... Queen Josephine is a cat. Uh, she has just a tood, a big attitude she has. Anyway, but I, I don't know if I'll ever make her happy. I don't know if I ever will or not. We'll see. Anyway, moving right along. Tonight is the key to magnificent marriage part one. I like what Mark Twain said. To get the full value of joy, you must have someone to divide it with. I sort of like that. And one of my favorite quotes I have read of late is a good marriage is where one where each partner secretly suspects they got the better deal. I love that. A good marriage is where each partner secretly suspects that they got the better deal. And I like an unknown person said this, a successful marriage requires falling in love many times, but always with the same person. Always the same person. Peter DeVries quipped that the difficulty with marriage is that we fall in love with a personality, but we live with a character. And another man said, the concept of two people living together for 25 years without a serious dispute suggests a lack of spirit only to be admired in sheep. And there was an older couple sitting on the fire, uh, by a fireside, and he looked over her and said, uh, in a very romantic thought, he said, after these 50 years, I've found you tried and true. The wife's hearing wasn't so good, so she said, what did you say? He said, after 50 years, I've found you tried and true. After 50 years, I'm tired of you too. And that's what she heard. May your marriage not be like that. And by the way, if you hit 50 years, congratulations, or even remotely close to that. Uh, uh, Rita Rudner, I don't know who that is, but she said, I love being married. It is so great to find that one special person you want to annoy the rest of your life. And I believe my father, I saw this written in a note to my mother many years ago by Alfred Lloyd Tennyson. If I had a flower for every time I thought of you, I could walk through my garden forever. My dad was not very romantic, but he had a home run on that one. And so I remember seeing that. I can't even bring to my exact or my mind exactly where I saw that, but I saw my mind, my mom reading a card with that pinned to her from my father. And so uh, marriage, it can be magnificent. There was, matter of fact, there was a young man who told his friend, he said, do you know after five years of marriage, my wife and I have never had one argument How did you manage that, asked his friend. Well, said the husband, when my wife and I got married, we decided that I would make all the major decisions and that she would make all the minor ones. We've not had a major decision yet. (laughs) God wants your marriage to be absolutely splendid. Matter of fact, the key is found right here in the seventh commandment and also in Genesis chapter 1. Two, we'll look at in just a moment. I like this. This is a new quote regarding Mary. Sam Levison said this. I like this. Love at first sight is easy to understand when it's two people, but when two people have been looking at each other for a lifetime, it becomes a miracle. Love at first sight is easy to understand. It's when two people have been looking at each other for a lifetime that it becomes a miracle. And that's that, God's plan. By the way, our marriages, whatever marriage you are, whatever the marriage you're in now, whatever that, it is to be a picture of Christ and his church. That is the picture. That's, we, we have strayed so far from that. But Christian, I'm telling you, 
it needs to be that. And the book, which I have, I believe, on my shelf somewhere. Of course, if you see my bookshelf, you wonder why I couldn't find it immediately. Uh, it's called The Myth of Green Grass by J. Allen Peterson. It tells the story of a woman who was at lunch with 11 other people, and they had been studying French together while their children were in nursery school. And one of the women in the group said, How many of you have been faithful to your husbands through your entire marriage? Only one a woman at the table raised her hand. And that evening, the woman told her husband the story and added that she had not raised her hand, but she, hadn't, but she had been faithful. And he said, why didn't you raise your hand? She said, I was ashamed. Ashamed that I had been faithful because everyone else had said, oh, it's like the stylish it was to not have been faithful. I'm telling you, in America, we have we've made a style not to do marriage God's way. It's like we can find any other people, conglomeration we want to figure in, and however, but it's not the Bible way. It's something of, oh, that's old passe. It's, uh, 46%, uh, one survey of monogamous relationships said they had, of the people said they had had an f- affair, 46% of one survey. One survey said that 60% of all marriages in our nation will experience the effect of adultery. By the way, when there's been adultery, only 25% of marriages survive when a partner has been unfaithful. Well, God designed marriage for our enjoyment. And so uh, we're, instead of thou shalt not commit adultery, we're going to look at it from the positive side, how to have a magnificent marriage. That's part of it. But not committing adultery allows you then to have the side of a magnificent marriage. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Generations have come and gone, but the Ten Commandments still are standing, and we do not break the commandments. We don't obey them. The commandments are set. The commandments are not going to be broken. Matter of fact, how long have they been in God's mind before the foundation of the world? How long will they be in, 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 in vogue for eternity? God's word is going to be something that lasts forever and ever and ever. Now, you're saying, but pastor, I know we're going to, we won't have to, we'll be obeying them because we're perfect from eternity future, which will be wonderful. But we say, oh, you broke a commandment. Well, we're broken upon them. Can I tell you? America, the world, we are broken when we disobey his commandments. The commandment is to moral purity. It's a time to remind ourselves that God's laws don't need to be amended or revised or reinterpreted or revisited. All these, They need to be revisited, but followed what they need to be done. Interesting enough, it was in this 15, it was in 15, I'm looking through the date, 1577? No, it was 1631. 1631, in a printing era, the Bible is called the Sinner's Bible. Very, uh, actually, there's only ten copies left in the world. But what happened was they forgot the word "not," and it says, "Thou shalt commit adultery." And King Charles, true story, of the thousand original copies, he recalled them all. And again, there's only ten left in the world today because he destroyed them. Now, you can imagine in 1631 how expensive it was to make a Bible, how long it took. With the printing, even with the printing press, but the printers, Barker and Lucas, were called in to King Charles I. They were fined 300 pounds. Now, I can't imagine how much 300 pounds would have been back in the 1600s. And also, they revoked their printing license because they had just inadvertently forgotten the word not. And by the way, it was a year before it was found the mistake. Now, my wife, a year? It took them a year to find such a glaring error? And it was. That was called the Wicked Bible, the Sinner's Bible. By the way, also, there was called the Breaches Bible, which I've actually seen an actual original copy. I was in Williamsburg uh, in, uh, in back a few, when I was in New Jersey. A guy would come to Bible Truth, and he would work with us, and he had a house 
in Colonial Williamsburg. And he lived in the downstairs and upstairs. But the first floor, you had to have period items. So when people come through into his house, they had to be... And he had... He had an actual breeches Bible from 1631 and had it on the shelf. He had muskets from the revolutionary. He had the man, he was very humble about it, but he was very well healed. And he had all these. He had a table where Jeb Stewart and Robert E. Lee and two or three other big generals had sat around preparing stuff from the Civil War. He was a Civil War history guru. And he let us... He let us go into this house when people were in there and, and look around. He gave us a personal tour of Colonial Williamsburg. It was magnificent because he knew all the things that you never hear uh, from people who give you that tour. Anyway, he had to preach his Bible. Uh, remember Adam and Eve? They sold together, put fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And the Geneva Bible, they made themselves breeches. And so that's, what, that's where it comes from, the Breaches Bible. Just a little bit of Bible history there, just for your thinking. But here, the text is clear. The not is in there. Thou shalt not commit adultery. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. They are for our health and happiness, really. Health and happiness, we'll see that in a few moments about the health-wise. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not actually means don't hurt yourself. In a book regarding uh, marriage triangles, Dr. Lana Stanelli said these words, quoting, Of those who break up their marriages to marry somebody else, 80% are sorry later. Of those who do marry their lover, which is only about 10%, about 70% of them get a divorce afterwards. Of that 25 to 30% that stay married, only half of them are happy. Having an affair is an invitation to an awful lot of pain and tragedy, and I figured it by, uh, from the original group, only about 1.5% remain happy. It just, it, it's, it, there's nothing good comes of it. So when God says, thou shalt not commit adultery, we need to write this law on our hearts that this is not something that's even in the realms of a possibility. If the law of God is only good on the outside, it will become a rule or regulation, a restraint. It should be your heart's desire. I am not going to do that. The Great Wall of China took hundreds of years to complete. So large is one of the objects you can see from outer space. They used to be able to race chariots, drive chariots on top of the Wall of China. But, you know, it was invaded, after, it was invaded three times shortly after it was completed. They bribed the gatekeepers. They bribed the gatekeepers and the, gate, the gates were swung open. They could come in. The gatekeeper, listen, all your, the enemy wants to do is to bribe the heart inside you, if you would. The gatekeeper of our hearts is on the inside. The gatekeeper must be faithful or the walls, the restraint, the laws of God's word will do us no good. Here's the directions. Now, you can either follow them or ignore them, but you're going to ignore them at your own peril. You're coming down the road. Bridge is icy. Now, and it's cold and the ice is on the bridge. I'm going to just fly on through there, and whoa, they can't tell what's going to happen. But here, ignore them at your own peril. The, the road I live on has, a, has a, uh, a six-ton bridge on it or somewhere down there going down there. And lots of times before they've gotten, before they, all the signs came up, they would, instead of going over that big viaduct over there, and so I don't know what it's called over there, but the, something, the port or something over there. Anyway, they would come down our road. And they would stop right in front of my house because they'd see that sign. The gentlemen were out of town, and they would and they would back up, and they back up, and they had to turn around. The guy next door, the world class uh, saw master, 
he they turned around and the fellows ended up getting his yard, so he put up a fence there so they wouldn't because it but they they don't the signs not to get down the road a bit. But now they've got clear signs, and I can't remember the last time a, a truck got stuck down there. But anyway, that was the signs are there now. You're going to have to, and the police would pull them over sometimes if uh, if they got stuck down there. there. First of all, then there's an all-encompassing commandment. The seventh commandment deals with all forms then of, of immorality. In a nutshell, any physical intimacy involvement outside of marriage, whether premarital, extramarital, is a grievous sin against God. Now, legally, adultery is called voluntary physical intimacy between a married person and a partner other than the lawful spouse. The Bible is a little broader. Interpretation of adultery, voluntary physical intimacy between two people who are not married to each other. And so there's a, it's a pretty broad Bible speaking. We know, the Bible is clear, any kind of intimacy, physical intimacy outside a man and woman with each other, married to each other, is out of bounds, according to God. Now, we were introduced in the 60s, when I was a young boy, to the, the new morality, which is the old immorality. Millions of people followed that. Young people sucked into the swirling sewers of sin. Matter of fact, now in 2019, listen to this, 69% of Americans, according to a Pew Research, say cohabitation is now okay, even if marriage is not in the plans. 16 more percent said it's okay if marriage is in the plans. And only 14% said that that's wrong. 86% of Americans said it's okay. 14%? Nope, shouldn't be doing it. And matter of fact, now the, the mindset toward uh, same-sex relations, 65% I'm sorry, uh, toward being cohabitating without being married, 65% of Americans say it's okay. Cohabitators should have the same benefits as those who are legally married. A sad statistic, a larger share of adults in America have cohabitated than have been married. A larger share of adults in America now have cohabitated rather than being married. This new morality really has taken a toll on our society there is but one time there were only five known STDs in the world. Dr. Norell told us several years ago at Brian that there were 50 now. The world continues to defy God's commandments. Listen to a couple of statistics regarding STDs. This is all the way back from even 2015. Over one in two Americans will contract an STD at some point in time in their life. Over half of Americans will have contract, contact, whatever, get in contact with or have an STD in their lifetime. One in two active persons will contact these diseases by age 25, etc. One in 14 is contracted an STD every year. Uh, it's estimated that 5 million Americans or 50 million have, have uh, various forms of STD, etc. I thought this was quite telling worldwide. There are 1 million STDs contracted worldwide every day. 374 million infections annually in the world. The most recent one, of course, is monkeypox has gotten attention. It's like the, the, the quote after I heard that statistic, I was thinking of Samwise Gamgee in one of the Tolkien movies. He said, now there's an eye opener. Make no mistake. And that is. It's the, the, the world, we have, we have succumbed to an illicit, sensual, hedonistic mindset. America is leading the charge. Who exports all the immorality across the world? Not in other places. 
But we are leading the charge in so many ways. We need to repent. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Why are we reaping the whirlwind? Because we've sown to the wind. Sown to the wind. But pastor, I have, we as a nation have done it. I'm, re- I'm glad you're reading your Bible. I'm glad you're following his. But the nation as a whole, could what the Jews say? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. But the majority said, oh, crucify him. Crucify, we don't want him. The leaders of the nation of Israel said, no way. We don't want him. We want to lose. And so the nation suffered. Why it's important that we pray for our leaders that God would give them wisdom. Seventh commandment is to be is repeated and reinforced throughout the New Testament. For example, Matthew 19, 18, thou shalt not commit adultery. 1 Corinthians 10, 8, neither let us commit fornication. Colossians 3, 5, mortify, which means we get our word like morbid, mortician, mortuary, put to death. Muerte in Spanish. Put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. Now, what does it mean, put to death? It means they no longer exist in your life anymore. Put to death these things. Put them aside. They are not to be raising their head in your life. 1 Corinthians 4.3 This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. God would have you. That's his will for you, Christian. Fornication is immorality, whether before or after marriage, as you well know. If you are married and you're physically intimate with anyone other than your marriage partner, you are violating God's command. If you're not married, you period, you can have none and be obedient to what God has said. That is not well received among even many Christian people. Christian young people, we don't want to hear that's just That's just too hard to follow. Now, I will have to admit, this world is a much more open, sensual, media-oriented world, and it will be so much harder in this world to keep your mind and eyes clear than it was in 1975 when I went to high school. But God's Word is still the same, and it behooves you and I to keep our minds and eyes right, to help our younger folks to keep their minds and eyes right. Can we not still obey God even if Daniel did? In a very perverse culture, Daniel still obeyed. The three Hebrew children still obeyed. Yes, we can too. By God's strength and God's help, it applies to us. We are to be building barriers that are against it. And if we allow things into our lives, you're going to have a lot of baggage. There's kids come, young people, younger folks. I'm at 61, I guess I can call them kids. But younger folks come, they get, they get married and they bring, like it's a whole truckload of baggage they get to them because they've had all these relationships. And can I, I was reading another statistics. The more relationships you have before you get married, the less happy you are and the less likely you're going to stay together. We are training our young people today since I was a young person to break up, not to stay together. We date somebody, don't like them, dump them, get somebody else. Date somebody, don't like them, dump them, get somebody else. Date somebody, maybe a little while longer, but they just, they don't, we don't like the way they, they dress or whatever, or the way they brush their teeth, don't like them, get somebody else. And we keep, and hopefully someday we'll stay with somebody long enough, we can ask them to marry them, and then we learn what to get married, and then, well, I don't like the way they do that. Let's dump them and find, you see what I'm saying? The dating culture in America has fostered a couple generations where it's, well, if we don't like something, we can just dump it and find somebody else. 
I like this one. Uh, Tim Mullen said, happy marriages begin when we marry the one we love and they blossom when we love the one we married. Uh, It's the infatuation stage. Oh, I am so in love with her and... I, I, I met my wife, knockout gorgeous when I, you know, when, when she still is. We were young, and and I had that infatuation stage, and and I'll have to admit, after about a year and a half of marriage, I started, I lost that infatuation stage, and I wasn't on to the right stage yet. And she says we should go for marital counseling. I said I'm not going. I'm a preacher's kid. I don't need to go to marital counseling. Yeah, it, 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 something's happened. And by the way, if you'll do after you get married what you did before you got married, in order to get married, you'll stay married. But what I did, I didn't do after I got married. And so I, I was a different person. I, I can imagine. I don't remember if she said this exactly. But you're not the person I married. The person I married, you, you cared. And, uh, and so by God's grace, we stay together. And I have the, most, the greatest blessing. I thought about that first quote. I secretly know I got the best end of the deal. I'll just tell you. I know I got the best end of the deal. And that's, that's, that's the way it should be. We, we, we're not perfect, but our love grows. We, we plateau, we have the infatuation stage, and we get down here, and infatuation goes away. And then we start growing that spiritual as we grow toward one another. I grow into love for the Lord, she grows, and we grow toward each other as we're growing toward the Lord. It's, oh, pastor, you make it too simple. It's, it's simple in understanding, but it's very difficult in the, in the process of doing. How are our children? Have you ever thought about this? When is my, how's my, is there ever going to be anybody even pure for my grandson to marry? Is there even going to be someone pure when my granddaughter gets married? Will there be even one young man who's said, no, I'm, I'm going to wait till marriage? I, I, God can. And it's not so much. I don't believe it's so much. God, give me that person. You need to be that person. I think that's where it starts. It's not like, Lord, I need. would you please preserve this person or, or save this person for me? I'm telling you, I believe now, as I've taught, pastored for a little while, it's the most important thing is that you are who God would have you to be, and then he'll bring to you whom he has for you. But just don't think I can live high, wide, and handsome and ask God to send me some beautiful woman who has never even kissed another guy. You need to be who you should be first and then say, Lord, I'm just trusting you. I'm going to do all I can to be what you'd have me to be. And you bring, if you'd be pleased, in the right moment in time in my life, a person to marry. But I want to be what you want me to be first. You see, it's not throwing everything out on some some random spouse somewhere that you've not even met yet, which, by the way, you should be praying for the spouse for your children and grandchildren already. You should be. I'm just telling you, you should. Lord, please bring that. That's part of the prayer. But we are to be the right person. Adolf Huxley satirized what he saw the destructive human nature of the world of science and called the brave new world, which I'm sure you've heard of that book most likely. In the preface, he said these words regarding marriages. The day will come when marriage licenses will be sold like dog licenses, good for a period of 12 months with no laws against changing dogs or keeping more than one animal at a time. We, we circumvented that. Now we just live together however long we want. I, I, my, my, listen, my family's not, I'm just saying I'm not, I'm preaching to all, if I did it, I would be wrong. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm just not, I would be wrong if I was doing that. 
But we circumvented that, so we just, we just live together for however long we want, and then if things don't go well, well, then we'll just separate and go on our ways. No harm. There's going to be harm. There's going to be harm. I'm just telling you. The glue, uh, it talks about in First, uh, in first, first Genesis chapter 2, that they become one flesh. That's like glue. I was working on the, putting some mold, cold molding in the bathroom, and uh, that glue gets on there pretty good. And it's like gluing two pieces of paper and then trying to separate them without tearing. It just cannot be done. It's like I got super glue on something on one of my Bible pages, and I had to actually have a tear in my Bible page now because, because I couldn't separate. There's no way to separate it cleanly. And that's the idea of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. One flesh. They, I don't want, to, but they're super glued together. If you would, they can't be. It can't be changed without a lot of tearing, separated. So it's an all-encompassing commandment. Say, so I'm only on part. I'm not even got to the main thing yet. I know we got part two next week, and maybe part three the next. We don't know the state of modern marriage. Huxley now wrote in 1932. It seemed impossible, almost a hundred years ago. Uh, that this could possibly be that that marriages was sold like dog licenses and, and good for only 12 month period. But what would they have said in 1932 if I told you that men and women were allowed to live with the same sex and be okay? And now we've got a polyamorous relationships in some cities in America as okay with equal. What is polyamory? One man, two women, three men, five. It's, it's whatever you want to be. Polyamorous, and that's oh, and they're getting the same benefits as a. I'm telling you, I feel a little bit cheated on here because you're doing the things the right way, and we're being. And we're, you see what I'm saying? We're being. But it's still right to do right. Still right to do right, even though we may feel well. You know, God is our master, not the government. And 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 I know you know that. And and we we are to obey the government when they get in line with the Lord, but. We are doing things for the Lord. And we are to do right. It was John, Bob Jones Sr., do right to the stars fall. And that is it. And we are to be doing right. So I can imagine, though, married, by the way, marriage licenses is still a little harder to get than a dog license, I think, but not a whole lot necessarily. But how about a driver's license? Compare for just a moment a marriage license. A driver's license. I was thinking today as I was studying uh, this afternoon that when we got married, my wife and I, on December 28th, 1984, on December 26th, 1984, I don't think we had our license. I don't think we had our blood test back. And so I arrived on the, 20, on the 27th, or I called Stephanie on the 26th and said, we haven't even have our license. I said, well, we're just going to go ahead and get married, and hopefully it will come through. It'll be okay. Because we've got all these people coming in from out of town. We're gonna, and, but thank the Lord, I think it's like day before the wedding. that we, uh, I don't know how, but we got what we're supposed to have. And so we were official. Woohoo! But there's that. But there was, there's some things to get married. I'm not sure what it takes now. Blood test, possibly have a justice of the peace. You can fly, probably fly to Las Vegas and be married in 10 minutes by someone there. Probably hop back on the plane and fly back home in one day. No real problem at all. But how about a driver's license? My goodness, I was talking with Mr. Bill later, uh, maybe last year, about getting my CDL license, and, and I let mine go, and I've got completely go. So if I were to get my CDL again, I would have to do the testing, I would have to do the driving testing, and get approved, and all these different things. There's a lot of hoops to jump through to get that started again. 
And if you're doing the, uh, the, your license, there's going to be a manual. You've got to have class. You have to go for driver's education. You have to get in the car with a police officer and be intimidated from the get-go and drive your car and make it through the first time. I was so grateful in Sayersville. All the places were full. I did not have to do parallel parking. And I got my license without doing parallel parking. That's why I drive so terrible now. So I didn't have to do parallel parking when I get my license. Because they're, well, sir, you don't have to do parallel parking. You passed. Woohoo! Yes! I failed my first bus test. I have to tell you that I was, it was over in Jackson. I went up, took the bus up there, but I was working at Berean and, and I tried to hit the back of those pylons and I didn't go far enough up and I tried to make the angle and I, well, I just failed. You'll have to come back again, sir. You just failed the test. Really? Yes, sir. You hit a, you hit a cone back there. Oh man. He said, now next time you come, just take a bigger swing and pull in and you'll be fine. I said, okay, okay. But we, we, you see, what we require, and marriage is so, marriage is the foundational part of our society. We should make it more difficult to get married and more difficult to separate. It should be difficult to do those things. Not difficult, in, but in the sense of a hard thing to do, but there should be, should be some requirements. It should be, can you imagine for just a moment? That if we had in America that every person that wanted a couple that wanted to get married, a man and a woman, got wanted to get married, they would have to spend some time with a, a, a seasoned married couple who've been together for years, forty years, maybe thirty-five at least, and they would have to have counseling. And this married couple would take it under their wing and, and help them to understand what marriage is about. And that was part of and to get your marriage license, you had to spend at least three one hour sessions or five. 30, what our sessions with the couple, don't you think that would sort of help people be have at least a more accurate idea of what marriage, I thought when I got married, every day was going to be a piece of cake, and it was only going to get better and exciting, and, and well, I can't wait to get married, and then I found out what an idiot I was, and how sinful I could be, and that really, you don't like to hear that. It's like looking in the mirror in the morning. I looked at this morning, I know I need a haircut, but my hair was every which way, and some of it had to be loose because I've lost a lot of it, every which way but loose. And so there we are, and I don't want to see that. But you know, it's just, you got to suck it up and look in there and comb that hair, except for a couple of us, at least on top, and at least one of us doesn't do much combing at all. That's okay. But that's just part of it. As we close, think for just a moment of... There's a couple on top of this mountain, and they're in the car, and they're wanting to get down to the Happy Valley. And so they've gotten married, and they're in this car, and there's a steep road as they go down. And they're starting down this road. And as they're going down this road, this newlyweds, they see a car in the ditch here, a car over the edge there, a car upside down here. And there's wrecks, these automobiles all along, and there's precipices, and there's obstacles as they're going down the hill to the Happy Valley. The people in the other cars are broken and maimed and the the passengers they picked up along the way are also broken and crushed too. And the couples driving their cars thought that when they started down toward the Happy Valley, it was going to be wonderful and the easiest of all trips. But something has happened along the way. That's America today. We think it's a piece of cake I think more than that, even now, this is an older, I've used this message before. I'm thinking now it's more, it's just not necessary. Why do I get married? I can get everything I want without being married. 
something happens, I don't have to worry about giving up my stuff. I got mine, she's got hers, or he's got his, and he's got his. And See how we've changed? We've changed. We need to have some compassion for those homes who have separated. We need to have some compassion. They don't, they don't need necessarily the wagging finger and the wagging tongue. They need someone to come alongside. Is there something I can do? I'm praying for you. Just leave it at that. You don't need to know all the details. You can say, I'm, I'm praying for you. I know you're going through a rough time. I am praying for you. Praying for you. Build some barricades. As they're going down the hill, we need to put up some barricades. These are just things you don't do. These are things you need to work with this. You need to you go, go, go to the pastor for counseling. Do something. Find a Christian counselor. But you've you got to put and some obstacles. We've got to remove some obstacles in the way. We've got, we've got to help our young people to see that God's way is still the best way. If we don't do it, I can just tell you the world's not doing it. The world is bent on destroying themselves through an immoral lifestyle. It is the immoral revolution. And we also need to teach them how to drive. There are some keys to a magnificent marriage, and we'll get to that one next, next time. The key is right here. It's following God's commands. All marriages have problems. All marriages have problems. It's how you're going to deal with them. Are you going to let God have his way? And those are the ones that stay together. The ones that allow God to help them through that time. Let us pray. Lord, I didn't get to all the material I wanted to. But, Lord, I pray that you take the words and challenge. Lord, I thank you for forgiveness. I look back at my own marriage, my own life, how I was so determined to do what I wanted to do and ignore the right things and to please myself and all these things. Lord, just thank you that you saw me through that. Thank you for a wonderful wife who stuck with me in difficult times, still does. Lord, help us to appreciate our mates. Do we really think that we got the best end of the deal? That should be our mindset. If we will do that and allow you to help us to be forgiving people, what a difference it will make perhaps in our marriage. Lord, restore our marriage if that's what's needed. Be those who in our community perhaps are struggling in this area. May you help them to find counseling or seek your face. And Lord, help us that you would allow you to make something beautiful of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.